0: Welcome to Wild Hearts with Janine. I'm Janine, the host of this podcast, and I am so excited that you guys are here. You are in for such a treat because today I'm sitting down with my friend, Alexis teichmiller Hughes? Did I yeah. say it right? <laughs> you did. Woo! I'm so proud of myself. From someone who often gets their name, their first name butchered. So I try to take good care in, in pronouncing names as correctly as possible. Thank so you. you guys, I'm so, you're welcome. I'm so excited to get to sit down with you, Alexis. Today, we are talking about something that not only you are super passionate about, but that you are consistently encouraging and guiding other people toward. And that is living a deeper life, a life of more vulnerability and authenticity, getting to know ourselves so much more and on a deeper level so that we can have more effective and healthier relationships and views of ourselves. And I think that ultimately propels us into the deepest life, right? Our deepest life and doing the things that we were made to do. So I'm really, really excited to dive deeper into that with you today.
1: So hi, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad I'm here too. I feel like we're doing a little podcast swap. Janine was on (laughs) my podcast, The Deeper Life a couple of weeks ago, and now I get the honor of sitting with you today and just connecting and sharing and having a conversation about vulnerability. You know, It's going to be good. I can feel it.
0: Yes, me too. Well, first question I have for you, I usually go through, you know, a short list of kind of intro questions just so that listeners can get to know you a little bit more if they don't already know you. So, would you take a few minutes to kind of introduce yourself, maybe share a little bit about who you are, where you live, what you do, and a fun fact if you have one.
1: Ooh, a fun fact. Sure. <laughs> okay, so hi friends. I'm Alexis and I'm originally from Southern Illinois and from like central southern Illinois, grew up in a farming community of about 500 people. My graduating class was 26 kids. So just (laughs) a really like tight knit, you know, very close familial, like kind of quintessential Hallmark small town vibes (laughs) my whole life, (laughs) even though like my life was definitely not Hallmark, right? There were definitely lots of lots of things and, and things that sparked a lot of healing and growth in me, especially as an adult now. But grew up in a small farming community and then went to college and studied marketing with a minor of creative nonfiction writing. I've always been really passionate about writing and reading and, you know, wrote my first book at 17 through this entrepreneurship class and just really got this incredible life and energy from taking something that was in my mind and my spirit and my soul and like putting it down on paper and having people read it and connect with me because of it was just one of the most amazing experiences. And so I knew that I wanted to pursue that in some way formally in school. And so I minored in creative nonfiction writing. And I love writing as much as I love entrepreneurship. I love the opportunities mm-hmm. that entrepreneurship and the resources it gives you and the freedom it provides And so I knew that that was something I wanted to study in school. And then after I graduated, like caveat, I like started a women's clothing company in college and ran that for like two and a half years and then moved to Nashville to work for a New York Times bestselling author and like run a lot of his marketing. And he was a podcaster and a blogger and, you know, and had all of this background in email marketing and so I had no idea, like, the the story that God was weaving from the very beginning of my passions and, and then mm-hmm. a lot of the opportunities that he brought to me. And so I worked with this gentleman. His name's Rory Vaden. He has an incredible book called Take the Stairs on Procrastination. And then he has another one called Procrastinate on Purpose. So I worked with him and his team for a year, and it was so much fun. I learned so much. Like, that first job out of college where you're just like, what am I doing? You know, and you're like, you're building... <laughs> yes. Your confidence, you're building your skill set, you're kind of overcoming imposter syndrome in a way as well. Like you're just navigating all these feelings and you're trying to figure out like, who am I separate from family? Mm-hmm. Who am I separate from my hometown? I'm moving to this new city to create something new for myself. Who do I want to be? Who am I in this job? Who am I in my life? You know, not just finding identity in a mm-hmm. career. And then after that, I, after I worked with that team for a year, I moved on to an incredible company. Called ConvertKit, a Fortune 500 company in the tech space. It's an email marketing service for creators and solopreneurs. And so I ran their affiliate affiliate mm-hmm. marketing slash affiliate management program for about four years, and had a blast with that company. I they're like my family. I learned so much about integrity, and I learned a lot about value systems and how those show up in the business. And I just worked. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to work for some of the most incredible men too. And to work as a woman in tech for men who paved the way for leadership skills and paved the way for promotions and, and raises and who really lived out their value system to their team, like Nathan Barry and Barrett Brooks, I could say it all day long, but they're just amazing people. So I got to learn a ton from them while also working with some of the top entrepreneurs in the online business space, You know, the Pat Flynn's, the Jenna Kutcher's, the Amy Porterfield's, and was just such an incredible experience, Janine, like working with them and their teams and seeing how they're running their businesses. And all the while in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur. Like, what could I be doing? You know? And so the whole time I was in Nashville, I started to build up my brand. And I, I had a podcast called The Laptop Lifestyle for th- about mm-hmm. three years. That was a really successful podcast and really brought those solopreneurs together and really highlighted like what is a laptop lifestyler and, and, and you can work from anywhere. And then I kind of transitioned that into being a travel blogger and was a travel blogger for about two and a half years and worked with tourism boards with cities and states and, you know, car companies, hotels, mm-hmm. like the whole shebang and loved that. Amazing. Learned a lot about myself and what I valued. And then this past year, actually. I started the Deeper Life podcast during quarantine. It's one of those quarantine projects that you're (laughs) like, let's just see if this is anything that could become something. And I had been praying and journaling for about six months for God to give me clarity on what my next steps were. And so in July of this year, I quit my job. I quit my (laughs) full-time, stable job (laughs) to (laughs) launch the Deeper Life business. And so I coach millennial women on how to create deeper connection with themselves. And I work with women one-on-one. I have a group coaching program. I do self-connection challenges that are like more short-term, bite-sized challenges for women to kind of like step and tiptoe into self-connection for the first time. And then I host the podcast, A Deeper Life. And so that has been amazing. And in all that time, I lived in Nashville for about five years. And I moved to Houston for a year because I got married. And then my husband and I just moved back to Southern Illinois. So, like, big full circle. That's my, that's my story. That's my story in like four minutes.
0: <laughs> yes, you did. That was a lot. You packed a lot into those four minutes. Yeah, you have been all over the place and done so many different things in a short, relatively short amount of time, which is pretty amazing and not something to like take lightly. I feel like I'm very inspired by you. Thank you. So to say.
1: Okay, how do we know each other? Well, I love this story. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like anyone, especially a millennial woman in Nashville specifically, I Mm -hmm. first Mm -hmm. met you through Instagram. We have a mutual friend whose name is Jessica Fralin. I love her Mm -hmm. so dearly. She's like my soul sister. And (laughs) she was like, oh yeah, she's my friend. And funnily enough, like also, I guess this is kind of a fun fact. Even though I love to read and love to write, I'm bad at spelling. I'm like real, real bad at like spelling and grammar. And it's it's something that I like really struggle with. And like typos and just being like phonetically pronouncing something like these are just it's one of my one of my little quirky things, I guess, about myself. Mm-hmm. So for, of course, I read the name Janine on Instagram and I was like, G-A-N. <laughs> and so I was talking to Jessica Fralin. I was like, oh, yeah, I think I follow one of your friends. Her name's G-A-N. And Jessica was like, what? Who? I was like, yeah, Gianne. And She's like, you mean Janine? <laughs> so embarrassed and then I think we finally met Jessica I think hosted like a blind date with a book or like something we met there for the first time and then we got coffee a couple times and just like connected because we were both kind of in that like tech entrepreneurship world and so now we're here
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) what's funny is there's still a friend of mine that calls me Gian because she was at that that event at Jessica's house and so every once in a while, she'll be like, "Gian," it's just so funny. And I mean, uh, not uncommon. My name is strange. And I think the double N does throw people off for some reason. So it's all good.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I guess I'm in good company with people. That you are. And it's a, wrong. <laughs> it's a
0: fond memory as well. So yeah. if nothing else. Okay. So you mentioned that you did, you've traveled a lot. Actually, a lot of your travels have like inspired me to add places to my bucket list, my travel Aww. bucket list. So I talk about travel a lot on the podcast because I also travel a lot. You um, do? So that said my last kind of <laughs> What? <laughs> so that with that my kind of last intro question, I'd love to know your favorite place you've been so far mm-hmm. and a place that you're really hoping to go obviously once it's safe and acceptable to travel again.
1: Right. Whew, okay. Favorite place I've ever traveled. Hallstatt, Austria. Mm. If you've ever seen like a screensaver before and you see this lake with this like beautiful quintessential white church and there's like all these little houses built into the side of a mountain, that is Hallstatt, Austria. And I saw it mm. on a screensaver and then I it came up again on my Pinterest. This is years, like years and years ago. And I saved it and I was like, I'm going to go there one day. And it's this little old salt mining town in Austria. And I think because I had this, like, dream of going there for so long, for years, and it had been on my travel bucket list, I love the mountains and water. Like, I love where mountains and water meet. So, Mm like, anything lake-oriented in a mountain range, like Lake Moraine in Banff is just insane. Like, Mm -hmm. anything that where where water and rock meet is just like, (laughs) oh, So I went Mm -hmm. there with one of my dear friends and we just walked around the whole town and it's like a World Heritage Organization site. And it's just, it's amazing. They've like almost stopped in time and they, Mm. I don't know, there's something about it that feels very peaceful. And so that's one of my favorite places I've ever been. And they also, from the salt mines that, you know, are from the mountain range near the town, they have all these salt products. And so I have some like really great bath salts from them. And anytime I'm like really down or like wanting to celebrate myself, I like get out those bath salts from that mine and I put them in my bath. (laughs) Okay, sorry. And then. (laughs) then, (laughs) No, I love it. I'm just like, let me tell you all the feelings that are attached to this place. (laughs) And then in terms of where I would like to go, I really want to go to Morocco. I want to go to Marrakech. I want to go glamping in the desert. I want to hang out with some camels. I want to learn about their culture. <laughs> I've never been to Africa. And so I think that would be a really great place to start. They have all these like these quarries. I don't know if quarry is the right word, but they have these like these areas where they have all this dye and they have this massive area where they're like dyeing leather and dyeing different. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're like do a lot of things handmade. And so I want to learn the trade. I think it's just interesting. And I've watched a lot of vlogs on it. And that's one thing. Like if there's a place that interests you, I highly recommend going to YouTube and watching some vlogs on it to like actually see not just pictures, you know, like Instagram and Pinterest can be a little deceiving. And so I like going (laughs) to YouTube and watching vlogs. And after watching like, no joke, probably 30 vlogs of Marrakesh and Morocco during quarantine, I was like, as soon as Morocco opens up, I want to go. So that's where that's like on my travel bucket list right now.
0: What about you? Oh, oh gosh, there's so many places. I was supposed to go to Banff in May. Mm-hmm. Womp womp, obviously wasn't able to go. And I haven't been, and it's been pretty high on my bucket list for a while. So that's one I definitely want to go back to. I was also supposed to go to Europe for Christmas. Womp womp, not doing that either. So I wanted to do a little bit of Eastern Europe. I didn't get to see as much over there the last couple trips I did. So I wanted to go to Prague and Budapest and some other places in Eastern Europe even potentially up to kind of Scandinavian region. So those are still pretty high. I also really want to visit Australia. So, mm. and New Zealand. Same. Thing. I mean, the thing is, I feel like anytime you ask, my answer is going to change. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or it'll be, or there'll just be more to add to it. There's yeah. just so many places.
1: I was actually just and watching like, this movie yesterday and I saw, they were, they were in Budapest in Hungary. Mm-hmm. And I, they were at this like massive yellow like, huge yellow structure, Mm. but it was these hot mineral baths, like this bathhouse. And I literally was, like, like searching the filming locations. So I found it, and I found it on Instagram, and I saved a bunch of the posts from there. So if you end up going to Budapest, hit me up. I I can't pronounce what the bathhouse is called, but it's, like, (laughs) the largest bathhouse in Europe. Like, it is the biggest in Europe. It's huge. And it's, like, just north of downtown Budapest. So... Maybe we'll go together.
0: Oh my God. Oh uh, Wait, <laughs> what? Did, did something just happen?
1: <laughs> I just, really want to go. I'm so go. <laughs> uh, there's so many people where you're like, don't know you want to go somewhere until you see a picture of it. And like, I think that can also be yeah. said about life. Is like, mm-hmm. you see someone being vulnerable. You see someone sharing transparently about their lives. You see someone having a really healthy friendship with another female. Like you see it exemplified and then you're like, ooh, I want to go there. I want that. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is like with travel. You see a picture of it and mm-hmm. you're like, that's interesting to me. I want to explore that. And mm-hmm. I think that when those things pop up in life, it's worth it to be curious. It's worth it yeah. to kind of dig a little bit deeper and see what's there for me. Is there anything there for me at all? Maybe not. But maybe there is. And we wouldn't know mm-hmm. if we don't actually stop and kind of explore that. Mm-hmm.
0: that was the perfect segue, I will say, right on into our topic. You mentioned this earlier, but earlier this year during quarantine, as I think many of us who maybe get bored just being at home all the time and or we have just ideas running through our heads, ideas of things that we could do or build or create. You had a quarantine project. I had a quarantine project. We all like there's a lot of us who were like, I should just do this thing while I have the time. You started a new podcast as you mentioned earlier called The Deeper Life Podcast. I want to hear a little bit more about why you're so passionate about others living a deeper life. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I think from a really young age, maybe it was growing up in a small town, I just felt like there was a lot of performance. There was a lot of like acting like everything was okay or or just trying to like, you know, not make a scene or not say that you weren't doing okay. Like it's just very normal in society in general to say, oh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? You know? And even at the beginning of this podcast, before you hit record, (laughs) you were like, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm okay. How are you? And then you're like, I'm okay. And then we talked about why we were just okay. And normalizing that amongst connection with people, instead of just always this surface level, I'm good. And I think that... That coupled with a few other things in my life that were traumatic or relationships that were, you know, trauma inducing, I learned to hide a lot of my feelings. I learned to suppress. I learned to control. As an eight on the Enneagram, vulnerability and being betrayed is kind of one of our biggest fears. Like being vulnerable is not something that we gear towards very easily, it's something that we and I find a lot of resistance in. And so, of course, like the things that scare us the most, I also think that there's a lot of curiosity there. And I, when I moved to Nashville in particular, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but because I was away from the family unit, because I was, Mm -hmm. you know, stepping outside of going to church because that's what my parents did, even though they raised me to be a Christian, I wanted to figure out what was my faith, you know, what's my personality, Mm -hmm. what are my viewpoints, who am I, you know? And I think in search for that question, I realized that vulnerability was a bridge to connect with other people. And a lot of Mm -hmm. times we want to tackle life events and we want to tackle our work and our family and our relationships kind of with this island mentality. Like I'm an island, Mm -hmm. I've got it all figured out. And we're such an individualistic society as well. You know, we used to be in tribes. We used to have this kind of community unit. Everyone kind of had something to contribute. And and it was all this like well-oiled machine working together as a community. And now with access to so many things, we have Mm -hmm. a very individualistic and we can figure everything out ourselves. And so as amazing as those things are, there's always two sides to something. And one of the downfalls to that kind of ideology and mindset is that my stuff is my stuff. And so I can figure it out. I can do whatever I want with it. And mm-hmm. even though I might project it on other people, even though, you know, my trauma might affect my behavior,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's mine. And I don't want to share that with anyone or let anyone know because then I don't want to seem like I'm weak or God forbid someone think that I need help. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, and so, <laughs> and so because of that and because of the work that I've done with my own self and really recognizing the role that vulnerability can play in my relationship with my partner in my relationship with my parents and friendships in my career even like what i do for my job my relationship with my body how i feel about mm-hmm. my body everything is connected to this this level of intention in really getting down and being honest about mm-hmm. how we're doing and being honest about where we are and what we're holding on to and what narratives that we're saying that aren't true, that aren't rooted in truth, they're rooted in lies or they're rooted in someone else's narrative that they put on us whenever we were 13. And we carry that around like it's our truth and we wear it like a badge of honor when really it's taking us away from our purpose. And so when you dig into things like that, you realize that it's not just me, You know, it's not just me that struggles with vulnerability or being transparent or healing or managing trauma or therapy or all the things like my mental health It's something that so many people struggle with. And I want to be a vehicle that people can, you know, move through and and hopefully be a small piece of someone's emotional growth and their their mental growth and just being there as a resource to support them through that is Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest gifts I could ever give someone, but also like an honor to be a part of someone's story in that way. And I think shifting away from being like this driven, ambitious, I'm still driven and ambitious, but I feel like my motives and my intentions weren't pure. And I feel like I got so much clarity through praying and through seeking out like where God's direction was for me by also he really He really cleared out the intentions of my heart. And I feel like Mm. there's a lot of pureness here. And there's a lot of like really, really good intentions here that even four years ago, I never would have accessed. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You know, like Mm -hmm. we just get so Mm -hmm. twisted on why we do things. And Mm -hmm. this work is, as much as it is for me, and it's my own journey, this work is to really help and serve other people. It's not to really build me up in any way. And that feels really good.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I'm right. And you can't, what's beautiful is, as far as you've journeyed, you're able to help others journey as well. Like you couldn't take them, Somewhere you haven't been. So kind of kind of in that vein, I'd love to know a little bit more about how have you become, gosh, I guess just more comfortable with stepping into deeper vulnerability. And then what have you kind of learned from doing that?
1: Yeah. In terms of the how, I think a lot of it took time, me getting to know who I was. You know, like who is Alexis? What does she think? What does she feel? How does she process? How does she cope? How does she numb? How does she Mm -hmm. celebrate? You know, like, how is she motivated? Is she internally motivated? Is she externally motivated? And really, just taking the time to get to know myself in that way allowed me to have more confidence when I did speak up. And it really taught me how to advocate for myself, advocate for my needs, and to like just have confidence in saying, I don't like this, or this feels Mm -hmm. forced. Or please don't speak to me that way. Or please give me a raise. Or mm-hmm. I'm going to set a boundary here. And so, when you know yourself in that way, you can then exercise that advocacy and that connection that you have with yourself. You can exercise that externally in the form of a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And so, if you ever have that feeling of like, I don't know where I'm going, you know, I feel like maybe I should move. Where should I move to? I feel like I'm, I'm stuck in my career. Where do I want to go? I have these passions, but I'm not sure if they're anything. This friendship makes me feel really crummy. What do I want to do about it? And when you have this deeper connection with yourself, you can navigate those questions. They're not easy questions, but you can navigate them much simpler, like much simply because you've already done the like foundational work to know who you are. And so you can give yourself more clarity and more confidence as you navigate through that. And so like therapy was a huge part of my process in this and reading a lot of books and reading a lot of self-development books, but also psychology books. Those have been really helpful and listening to podcasts and like figuring out what's, you know, someone's method for coping or processing doesn't have to be my method and really detaching this idea of perfection and detaching myself from the idea that you have to do it this one way. There's lots of ways we can access healing and there's so many ways we can access vulnerability. And so when I talk, this is my way. It doesn't have to be your way. But I think what really woke me up in a lot of ways and things I learned is that vulnerability can also, for me, be performative, you know? And so yeah. a lot of like writing and, you know, being vulnerable and sharing online has become like such a normal thing to do. And it can also be like a way that you're connecting with people, but it also can be like a little bit performative and something that's like, oh, well, everyone's sharing, so I'm going to share. And so it really gets down to the intention of your heart. You know, am I sharing this vulnerable thing because it's the popular trendy thing to do? Or am I sharing and being vulnerable because I want to help someone and this is how I process and, and I want to do this in mm. service, not out of this like, aren't I cool? Aren't I trendy? Aren't I doing the right thing by like sharing all of my feelings? And so it took me like even through traveling and taking all these Instagram worthy pictures and you know, just working through this tension. I felt a lot of tension internally of not feeling like I was really being myself. I felt like I was kind of performing in a way and feeling like I had to meet this certain standard that no one put on me but myself. And um, (laughs) unfortunately, actually two days ago marked two years, but two years and two days ago, one of my best friends unexpectedly passed away and her heart just stopped. She was a teacher her heart just stopped in the classroom at her chalkboard or at her whiteboard. And and, and, it, and it was, it was life shattering to me because at that point we were both 25. And, you know, I just, you know, when you go through loss and grief, it has a way of really waking you up to some ideologies that you're living under, these narratives that you're living under that are just total crap. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, why does this crap matter? why do likes and Instagram and all of this stuff, like especially the millennial generation, like we just get so warped on Mm -hmm. it and we find a lot of our value in it or what, or if, even if you're not on social, what other people think about us? Like that's going to be there whether you're on social media or not. And (laughs) I think unfortunately losing my friend, Abby taught me a lot about the way that I was living. That wasn't really filled with a lot of joy or compassion or empathy or intentionality. It was just like, we're on to the next thing. Boom, 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 boom. Like we just mow down. We mow through, we push through our feelings. We push through our trauma. We just we suppress, we control when things feel out of control. And those are patterns and triggers that can manifest externally in a lot of different ways if we don't focus on how to heal them. And so losing her was like the ultimate trigger to all of these other traumas that had been stacked up on top of each other that I didn't really heal from. And so Mm. at that point, it really just kind of broke down all the crap. And I was like, I'm just going to – I don't have anything to prove. My life is short. My life is short. What do I want to do with it? Mm -hmm. How do I want to treat myself? Mm -hmm. How do I want to treat other people? How do I want to serve? Who do I want to be? Like let's get clear on this because – I think it was such a wake-up call for me that it really encouraged me in a kind way to be brutally honest about where I was finding my validation and where I was finding my value. And sometimes it takes those traumatic life events to wake us up in that way.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's hard. But I I can't imagine that kind of loss at all, and I love that you you let yourself fully immerse yourself immerse yourself in that reality that you were living in and the i guess just the the catalyst that it ended up being for you yeah. in that season of your life and obviously you know when we look back any any time we can look back and see how God uses things good things and really hard things right to take us on a very specific journey bring us to where we are and eventually where we will be right and so it's beautiful to see that something so awful and and unfair <laughs> could still help guide you into this space that you find yourself in now where you get to help others step into deeper living, which I think is beautiful. And I think really honoring too, to you. your friend that you lost. I'm really sorry about that. That's,
1: That's really sweet of you. I really appreciate that. I think <laughs> at that very moment in my life, I was on like four to five different planes to different places every month. Like I was never present. I was never home, even though I lived in Nashville. And I think I kind of glorified the busyness and glorified the hustle. And, and then like when, when she passed away, my life just kind of stopped and I just sat with my friends and we grieved and we mourned for weeks. And I came back home and lived with my parents for like three or four weeks just to kind of be with people that knew her and that could grieve with me and, and sit with me in that. And it was really a wake-up call of like, oh, I just canceled everything and like nothing stopped. You know, like like nothing fell apart. I was able to just, I was able to be present and I was able to just be, not think, not do, not even feel. I was able to just be somewhere. And I hadn't given myself that gift in, at that point, about three or four years. And so when you're operating from that place of scarcity of it's not enough, I'm not enough, I've got to go get more, 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 which is another one of like the things about I hate <laughs> is that lust for more became addictive. You know, I've got to go chase more and more and more. And so I really operate not all the time, not perfect, but I really operate from a place of abundance of like, I have everything I need. I am safe. My family is safe. I am healthy. My family is healthy. Like I work through these things of like I am financially secure And even on days where I feel like I might not have enough or enough in the eyes of society or the standards Mm -hmm. of whatever, whatever elusive standards that we're supposed to be living by, (laughs) you know, sometimes I don't feel like I have enough or I haven't achieved enough or I haven't, you know, accomplished as many things as I wanted to. And when you kind of switch that lens from the scarcity mindset to this idea and lens of abundance, it also takes off a lot of pressure. You know, there's so much pressure on ourselves. And so it allows us to ease that up as well.
0: I'll say as a four in on the Enneagram, um, I come from a place of like something's missing all the time. Mm-hmm. There is something that's missing. Everyone else seems to have it or have, fa- have found it, but I, there's just always this. And so in scarcity mindset has been something I've struggled with for my, uh, my whole life, really. Mm-hmm. And it has been in this the last maybe... Twelve to eighteen months. There's been a lot of kind of hard work that I've been going through of kind of flipping that script and and trying to every day instead of thinking about what I don't have or how not enough something might be living out of a place of abundance. And I think too, as believers, like we have, we're told that we are given the abundant life in Jesus, and so, but it's hard when we live in a world that's telling us whether it's explicit or not we should have this this and that or we should be climbing this ladder or chasing this thing or like mm-hmm. you should never be satisfied you should yeah. always be you know on to the next and there is some real beauty in grounding ourselves as humans as women and as believers like in the fact that we have everything we need because the truth is we actually don't need that much what it really does come down to is health safety And relationships, like those Mm -hmm. are the most important things, and I would argue the things that we really need over everything else. So I I relate. (laughs) Yeah. Everything you were saying. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes." Okay. So I feel like the words vulnerability and authenticity have kind of been like hot words Mm -hmm. the last few years, especially on things like social media, where we had what was the like hashtag live authentic was really big for a while. But I feel like we might not actually understand what those words mean. Like Mm -hmm. on a surface level, we might be like, oh, yeah, I'm being, you know, this is vulnerable. This is authentic. But I would love to know. I'm just genuinely curious. How would you define those words? Or how maybe would you Mm -hmm. differentiate what they they really are or really could be from what might be kind of projected on in technology and social media?
1: Yeah, I think that you know, everyone's relationship with vulnerability is so subjective. And it's something that is very personal. And so someone might say, I'm feeling if you ask me how I'm doing, and I say, you know, I'm actually having a really hard day. And you know, here are two reasons why that might not seem vulnerable to you. That might just be like, oh, they're being honest, we're friends. But to them, that might feel like the hardest accomplishment of the day is to actually tell someone how they're doing. And so I think it's, it's hard to label like blanket statement vulnerability because it is such a personal experience for everyone. And, you know, there are layers to vulnerability as well. Like saying, like, I struggle with depression. Okay. That's a layer of, of vulnerability of saying like, this is a true statement about my personal life. And then another layer deeper is like, this is how my depression manifests. It manifests in these ways. This is how it shows up in my life. And then another, another layer is like calling a close friend and being like, I'm feeling really, really depressed today. My thoughts are all over the place. I can't get out of bed. And I slept till noon. And I feel like everything feels hard and I'm, I'm having a hard time finding hope today. Like that's even like a deeper level of vulnerability of, of just like of actively calling someone and telling them this is what's going on. And so I think it's... I don't have a perfect answer because it's an, it's an imperfect process, you know, it's Mm -hmm. it's something Mm -hmm. that is just such an evolution as well. And like what I used to think was vulnerability three years ago is just how I live my life normally today. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like that's my new normal. And so I think establishing a baseline for yourself of like, what is vulnerability to you? What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? And that way you can establish a baseline. And then from there, you can find individuals in your life that you trust and that feels safe to you where you can go deeper in those layers of vulnerability. But something else that I'm a huge proponent of is like vulnerability is not for everyone else. Vulnerability Mm. is for you. And so I love that vulnerability is a bridge, but that's a byproduct of you living transparently for yourself. And it's like, I want to, I want to share and be honest and be transparent. And as a byproduct, I'm building deeper connections with other people. But the, the main goal is for me to just show up and be myself. And so if that creates deeper connection, amazing. But at the end of the day, and I was just coaching one of my clients through this this morning, is I was being vulnerable and I shared something with someone and they didn't receive it the way I needed them to. Okay. Well, why did you share it in the first place? Well, I needed someone to know. Okay, so that share was for you. That was for Mm. you to share that and to be honest about where you were in that specific topic of your life. And even though they didn't receive it, didn't validate it, didn't take you seriously, the work is in the share. Now, Mm. the responsibility of holding and caring for someone else's vulnerability is someone else's responsibility, So if I share something very personal and something very hard that I'm going through right now, and you don't receive it, you're not in a good headspace, you are Mm -hmm. having trouble with empathy, you've never been there before, so you can't empathize, and you don't receive it in the way I need you to, that's still something that's your responsibility to manage, not mine. Mm -hmm. I can't make you clearly understand my vulnerability and how hard it was for me. And so that's why... If you can also shift and realize like my transparency is the way that I live, my vulnerability is who I am. I am a vulnerable being. That is because that is a part of my identity. It's a part of my value system. And when you can operate from your value system, you are in alignment with your values, therefore being authentic to self. And so I think that's what authenticity really means is like I'm being, I'm living in alignment with my value system. Therefore, I am being real and being authentic to myself, not for someone, but to myself. And I think mm-hmm. that we get that twisted, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to like social media and, and even just being in relationships with people is we put so much of our ability to share on someone else's plate. Well, I don't want to share because they aren't going to, well, I don't want to be honest because they won't. Okay. So that like when you, when you hear those narratives, then you can start to kind of unravel and say, all right, this share is not for them. The share is for me. And so, Mm -hmm. however, if it's a pattern, if it's a pattern of behavior with that person, not an isolated incident, always there's a difference. If there becomes a pattern, then a conversation could be had. Hey, I'm noticing that when I bring this up with you, your response is X, Y, Z. Let's dig into that. I'm curious. Mm -hmm is me sharing, making you feel uncomfortable? Is there a better way that I could communicate? You know, like, like just breaking down and, and having a, you know, my tone, my energy is even, you know, it's not accusatory, it's not defensive, because I know that my vulnerability is mine. And one, not everyone deserves it. Two, you know, those layers of vulnerability, not everyone deserves like layer three, you know, Those are my like close, close friends. But I would say in general, like thinking through your relationship with it and then the expectations that you put on someone else for managing your vulnerability and how that impacts the way that you live your life and the way that you share. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I'm gonna, when this episode comes out, I'm gonna re-listen to that chunk because I need to write down some notes because that was really good. How would you say that like, choosing a more vulnerable life or choosing to live a deeper life. How does choosing to do that, how can it lead to like real emotional growth?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I would say it's a process. It's something that there are going to be days where you're like, I'm doing it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling stretched. I'm not feeling broken. You know, I don't feel ripped. I feel stretched. And that's Mm. like, that's where you're, you're kind of practicing, you know, like just like when you're at the gym and you, you're doing specific movements or you're doing squats or like whatever, you're doing this practice of this motion and Mm. over time it becomes easier and you're able to lift more and you're able to add more to the, to the bar because you've built up this kind of strength towards it. I think the same thing Mm. kind of can be said to emotional growth is, you know, start with something small you know, I always encourage clients to look at their defining moments and identify defining moments from your childhood, your teenage years, and then your adulthood. And then from each of those categories, I want you to pick three defining moments. I want you to pick out a prominent emotion that you felt from that defining moment. And then I want you to write out what that moment taught you or the narrative that that created in you now as an adult. And when you list out these defining moments, that's a great place to start is just like figuring out what those are and how they're still showing up in your daily life. Stuff from your childhood, Mm -hmm. stuff from your teenage years, that's manifesting now as an adult. And Mm -hmm. that's a like, in terms of the journey, even just looking into your past and saying, what is here that I have not dealt with before Mm -hmm. you even like try to go out here and just have the most emotional growth and you're just chasing it down. I think a lot of it is not sexy. It's not this formulaic thing. It's sitting with yourself, by yourself, putting pen to paper and thinking through the areas of your life that need healing, relationships that need forgiveness, things that need to be reconciled, trauma that needs to be maybe going and seeing a therapist about and and going through therapy for that specific issue. And those are all something that we try to tackle all at one time. And so I really recommend going through one specific thing at a time. Like, you know, if there's one particular trauma, really focus on that trauma and really focus on healing through that, understanding the narratives that's built in you and what you're letting go of. Do you need to have a conversation with someone? Is it something that you're solely managing internally? Is it something you're working through with your therapist? And I think that's something that we we get really frustrated about and feel a lot of like tension, internal tension is like we have all these motives, right? We want to Mm. be healthy. We want to move our bodies. We want to have a good spiritual relationship with God. We want to have a morning routine. We want to make time for friends. We want to travel. We want to, you know, pour into our relationships with our partners. We want to have good relationships with our family, you know, like we have goals, we have career, we have dreams, we want to write books, we want to do all these things. and it can get very overwhelming. It's hard to emotionally manage all of that at one time. And so if you can think through what is organic and what is more like active energy, so you have like passive energy and active energy, where do you want to be mm-hmm. spending your active energy and where do you want to be spending your passive energy? So mm-hmm. like passive energy is like my relationships. Like those are organic. We call each other. We, you know, I'm not like actively trying to fix something, forgive something, reconcile, have hard conversations, like work through emotional trauma with my friendships because right now, as a result of doing that work, my relationships are pretty good and they're great. And so that they're in that organic place where everything that grows from them is natural. Does that make sense? And then you have this like an active energy where like, okay, I'm going to therapy to work through these specific issues because I want to put active energy into them. I can't be passive. Because if I'm passive mm-hmm. with things, they can manifest in other ways. I'm not healing, and therefore I don't yep. feel like I'm growing and becoming who I want to become. So I, I think it's it's kind of a multitude of layers, but I think for me lately I have tried to manage so much emotionally that it can get overwhelming and then I do nothing. <laughs> And then I'm like, (laughs) then my narrative is like, oh, you're so lazy, you know, you're so, you're not doing enough. And I don't wanna just be productive. I wanna feel things, you know, I wanna heal. And healing and vulnerability and transparency are not boxes that you can check. Forgiveness is something you wake up every day and you decide. So is love. So is vulnerability. Like these are things that are becoming practices of our value system. And for a long time, I treated these kinds of things like a to-do list. You know, mm. healed that, heal that, check, check, check. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of intentional heart behind it. And so if you can also get in that mindset, just like we do with work, is like we got to churn through. We got we to work through this. We made the list. We know that it's there. We want to accomplish it. And now it's taking the time to be intentional with where you're putting your energy and where it might go worst. Mm-hmm.
0: I think there's something to be said about not just knowing the uh, the wounds you might have or the narratives that might be from your childhood or your teenage years or whatever that might be trickling into or guiding you currently right now. There's something to be said about writing them down because it's one thing to know them. And I feel like I don't know if you saw my face when you started talking about writing things down. I was like, oh, no, I feel like she's speaking to me. <laughs> Because I feel like I, over the last few years, especially have learned and realized a lot of those things about myself, but I have not written them down or maybe a couple of them. But there are some that I have realized probably over the last six to eight months during quarantine, to be honest with you, because I've had, I live by myself and I'm single. So there's like a lot of time to just think about myself and like my history and my past and where I am, what I want, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think I've, some of those layers have been revealed Levels have been reached, maybe is the way we could say it. And there are some things, yeah, I've realized, like, oh, I need to, and I want to go talk to somebody about these things because I think I've always known them at the back of my mind. But they now, when I've had the time to really just kind of face them head on, not necessarily deal with them, but like recognize them for what they are. I want a professional to be able to speak into it. I feel like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show up and just be like. Here are all the things. I know there are deeper issues, and I'm sure you'll help me get there, but here's what I know of right now. So anyway, I'm proud something, there's something to be said work. about Thanks. It wasn't <laughs> the plan, but Fine. I think – No, it never is. And I feel like it was a moment of God saying like, hey, yeah, you've known like some of these things, but you just like haven't wanted to deal with it. So here you go. Here's some uh, undistracted time
1: mm-hmm. where you can
0: – so anyway, here's some accountability I'm putting out there. Somebody check in with me when this episode's live and ask if I've gone to see a therapist yet because I really oh, have okay. been wanting to do it for the last couple of weeks. So.
1: It's interesting that you bring <laughs> this up because I'm in the same place. When I was in Nashville, I saw an amazing therapist. And when I moved to Houston, I felt like I was in a really good emotional place. And then this past summer has not been good. And especially this fall has just been really difficult. And I have mentioned this to a few friends and they're like, I think that you should go talk to someone again. Like I really think that you should seek therapy. And like, and I've even said, I want to go find a therapist. You know, I I want to, I want to, I want to. The fact that you just brought this up is like, (laughs) girl, so what are you going to do that? You know, like, when are you going to actually do that? And I've gone as far as like, especially living back here where I live now, I don't know of any therapists. So I went as far as Mm -hmm. asking around you know, like, hey, does anyone know Mm -hmm. anybody and Mm -hmm. texting a few friends and now I actually need to reach out. And so, you know, I'm over here talking about vulnerability and transparency and healing and I still struggle with it. Like, I think that's a part of these conversations with you and on on my podcast and just in general, like Mm -hmm. the human condition is like, we'll never have all the answers or have access to all the things or all the information. And, you know, there's also a level of like, who am I in God? you know, what's God's truth about this? And as much as I can work this around in my mind, like, what does God say? What does God want me to do? And I think that was a part of why I started the podcast and really have walked down this path is I was in a long, uh, my husband and I were long distance for about five and a half years before we got married. Five and a half years. I was like, (laughs) finally, we're getting married. (laughs) And we're getting married and like, You know, there was all these feelings of leaving Nashville after being in Nashville for almost five years and, and just like my friends had become my family and, and there were just so many emotions. And it's really important to give yourself permission to hold space for contradicting feelings. I was Mm -hmm. feeling joy and gratitude and just like being so excited for marriage. And I was also mourning, mourning my season in Nashville, leaving my friends so sad and mourning this independent singlehood that I had had access to in Nashville and just this freedom that had kind of this empowerment, you know, not that you can have that inside of your marriage, that can absolutely exist inside of your marriage. And I feel like it does for me and my husband, but there were just still those feelings of like, I'm letting go of a season and it's important to hold space for two things. So I was planning this wedding. and I moved to Houston and I didn't know a soul. Like we had to move there for my husband's job. I didn't know anyone. And it really allowed my focus, like God gave me this focus of like, okay, for a long time, it was like my friends travel, my career, you know, getting married, preparing to be a wife. Then I was married and I was in a new season and a new location where I didn't know anyone. And so there was this stillness for the first time in a long time, like this relational stillness where I still had access to my husband, but I was a little bit cut off from my community. And it allowed me to lean into God in a way that I hadn't in a long time or maybe ever, honestly. And I was journaling every single day. I was like, God, I know that there's something else out there for me. Like, I know that there's something that you have in my heart. And I just, I love Convert Kit, but it's just not it for me anymore. Like, what is it that you want for me? And I prayed and I journaled for about five months. And my brother was talking to me on the phone and I was like, well, I just don't want to do anything unless like, you know, God... Tells me clearly, and like, I just don't want to make a next step without hearing what God wants me to do. And he was like, I love that you are in this place where you are just like desperately seeking God's clarity for your life. And prayer needs legs, and you aren't moving, and you're asking for God to tell you if you're headed in the right direction, but you aren't stationary. And so I need you. Shoot. I know. I was literally like, (laughs) what? Yeah. (laughs) And so that's another thing that we can do is whenever we're so focused on like, okay, I'm going to grow. I want to grow. I want clarity. I want clarity. And we know what we need to do. We know what we want access to, but we are not Mm -hmm. moving. Like we have not taken the Mm -hmm. steps to actually move and to actually grow. And so that's why I started the podcast. I was like, okay, I guess I'll just like do this thing that's been on my heart for two years. It had been in the back of my mind for two years. And then I finally did it. And then not mm-hmm. gave me the clarity I needed. And then I quit my job and now this is happening. And so all that yeah. to say, are you moving? Are mm. you in motion? You know, are you actually taking the steps to mm. grow emotionally, to heal, to connect with God, to chase after that purpose that he has in your heart? Only he knows your desires. Like he and you know, the desires of your heart. Are you moving towards them? And yeah. it took me A long time to realize I was talking about moving and I wanted to move and I was dreaming about moving, but I wasn't actually moving at all. I was just sitting there. And that was a huge part of my story. And, you know, I would be in a very different place right now if I hadn't have had someone speak that truth into my life.
0: I love that tough love from your brother. (laughs) That's kind of amazing. (laughs) Same Well, (laughs) same thing. I love that question too of like, are you moving? I think constantly or at least periodically asking ourselves that question would be a really great exercise just because I think we can get stuck or even with good intentions, like your intentions were so good. You were seeking clarity and guidance and and this, this and that, all these things that are very good. Mm -hmm. But if we're not, I always kind of relate it back to We have to have faith, but there also has to be responsibility. Like there's a personal responsibility Mm -hmm. and a providence from God, but they have Mm -hmm. to meet, right? It can't just be we sit back and do nothing and hope and pray that all of a sudden something comes right into our laps. There has to be a movement of some kind. And so I think periodically asking ourselves that question is a really great exercise that we can Mm -hmm. implement into our, our lives, I guess. So I really like that. Thank you for sharing that.
1: You're Thank said, your brother. That's I know. Thank you, Doc. The, the same thing can be like, I want friends. I desire friendship. Mm-hmm. How are you putting yourself out there? Are you moving mm-hmm. towards friendship? I want a partner. I want to be married. I desire a deep relationship with someone else. What steps? What steps are we taking? And I know that that can sound easy or like, well, yeah, no, like, of course. Of course I need to put myself out there. But mm-hmm. I think sometimes we can get immobilized by the overwhelming mm-hmm. feeling of like, what's mm-hmm. it going to mean once I have friends? What's it going to mean once mm-hmm. I have a partner? What's it going to mean when I have the dream job? You know, what does that actually look like? And how do I manage that? Because right now, yeah. our level of understanding is where we are. Yeah, That's all we have yeah. access to. We have understanding of where we are. And we try to picture and I, and I kind of like have an idea of where we want to go. But it can be really hard when we don't have clarity on that and that's i think one of the yeah. reasons why we don't move cuz we're like yeah. okay but then like if i do then like something's going to happen and then i have to like figure it out and then i have <laughs> to like navigate something for the first time and then like yeah. then what do i do i'm not it's not going to be good i'm not going to be perfect at it and so i'm just going to stay here cuz this feels comfortable and this feels mm-hmm. safe and it's like mm-hmm. ooh
0: <laughs> mhm it's a little bit of almost like It's not analysis paralysis, but it's almost like being paralyzed by the possibilities. Considering all the what ifs, considering all of it can keep us from even taking that first step, which is such a disservice to our story and our journey and what God probably slash definitely wants to do with our lives. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Okay. Well (laughs) Well, that said, I have one more question for you on this topic what is your one last piece of advice that you want to give us, me included, for taking kind of our next step toward a deeper life?
1: Yes. So I kind of mentioned the defining moments and I think there's definitely some potential activity or work to do around that. My last thing is know your values, not know your value, like your worth and who you are and God is assumed here in this conversation. <laughs> But know your values and what do you, what do you act upon and what do you act upon from? You know, and so my values is loving people well. And so I don't gossip Mm -hmm. and I treat people with kindness and I am accepting and non judgmental of all people, all people, regardless of where they lay on the spectrum of anything. And so that's one of my values. And so understanding your value, like vulnerability is one of my values. And so there's lots of sub values underneath that. Am I speaking up for my needs? Am I advocating for myself? Am I telling people that I need help? You know, am I telling people that I'm having a hard time? Like, am I being vulnerable? Am I living out that vulnerable, like that value of vulnerability? And I think if you could list out seven to 10 values that you live by, then ask yourself, where am I in alignment? Where am I acting in alignment with my values? And where am I out of alignment? And so... My value could be, I want to love people well, but I judge people based on who they vote for. I want to love people well, but I get angry at my sibling every time they bring up a topic that I deeply disagree with. I want to love people well, but I talk about my friends behind their back. Okay, this isn't me casting judgment. These are all things I've struggled with, y'all. What this is doing is this is highlighting, hey, our value is that we love people well, remember? We love people well, and we respect people. And we treat them with kindness. And so if you feel yourself acting out of alignment, you can return to self and say, where in my behavior needs some evaluation? You know, where do I need, maybe I need a journal about this. Maybe I need to talk to my therapist about the situation, but I'm projecting a lot of my anger and judgment onto another person. And therefore I'm acting out of alignment with my value system. And that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. And so I think getting really clear on what those values are, And then getting clear on where they feel natural and where they're happening organically and then where you're feeling a lot of tension or where you might be living outside of those values will give you, I think, a clear path of where you might want to grow in and where you might want Mm. to ask for help and where you might want to have deeper conversations with yourself and God or a friend about those specific areas and then kind of create a plan on how you want to grow in them. Mm,
0: That's good. That's a good word. Seven to ten values. I'm on it, Alexis. Thank Get you. Get it, girl. Get it. <laughs> this has been so wonderful. I feel like in some way I just had a mini therapy session or a pre-therapy
1: session. Hey. <laughs> That's what I thing about like – So I work with women, millennial women one-on-one on deeper life coaching. And it's very complementary to therapy. But it's not – you can't replace it with it. I would never want someone to come to me for therapy, but I really like to work with women who are already in therapy or have been in therapy, and so a lot of the coaching is very action-oriented, whereas sometimes therapy is very reflective. Um, you're going deep into your past, and into you know, past trauma or past behavioral patterns, and so the coaching is more active, yeah, more like active and more present slash future focused.
0: Okay, I have three questions I want to round out our episode with. And I ask these of all my guests. So, first question for you. Knowing what you know now, at how old are you? 28. 27. 27, sorry. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. (laughs) Are you not offended? People get offended. I'm not offended at all. Okay, I just turned 31, so I think I would have been offended if someone was like, oh, you're 34? I'd be like, no! (laughs) Not. No, I'm not offended again. Good, good, good. Okay, so knowing what you know now at 27, what would you tell yourself at age 20?
1: Mm. Stop trying to impress other people. Mm. That is mm. it. Stop trying to perform for other people and care about how they view you. Not even people pleasing, but people performing, like performing for other people and changing who I was to appease or impress. Hashtag recovering evil like so <laughs> yay
0: <laughs> but that is such a, a true like I just think we we care too much I think oftentimes, I think the older I'm sure older people even older than us can say yeah we realize that as you age as you, and you grow in wisdom mm-hmm. but we care too much and we do things that maybe we wouldn't Right has a
1: mm-hmm.
0: and differentiating, figuring out what is it that you actually want to do <laughs> versus what you feel like you should do. Like just such a there's such a fine line, but once you like see it, you see it, and you realize you have more power in this Maybe realized. That is good. Who or what is inspiring you lately?
1: Mm. <laughs> That's a good question. Ooh, I would say, this is, might sound odd, but Michael Todd from Transformation Church. He, Transformation Church is out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I feel like he's really helped me redefine my faith, and he preaches on a lot of different topics, and he's so honest and transparent and talks about racism and talks about like sin in a way that is very real in today's world and not from this like feel good place of like, if you just believe and you just pray, you just give it to God, like everything will be fine. And yes, that is true. And the reality is that we live in a crazy world. And how do we, so he's teaching this huge sermon series on forgiveness and he just has taught three weeks so far, but like he's super inspiring to me. And he teaches from such an honest place about his own story And Mm -hmm. I mean, very rarely, this probably sounds like, makes me sound like a bad Christian, whatever that even means. But like, rarely do I like find preachers and pastors inspiring to me, you know, like Mm. I find them moving. I find them motivational, but like, I aspire to be a leader and to be a speaker and to be like a woman of God, like Mike, you know, and his team at Transformation really exemplify and share the human condition and the humanity behind Christianity. And that's been amazing for me. So I'm very thankful for, very thankful for like virtual church and YouTube and podcasts because I feel like that's how I've been getting, you know, all of my, all of my spiritual knowledge lately. So, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah, I think that is something we've been, had the privilege of learning from different people that we might not otherwise because of life, what Mm -hmm. life looks like in 2020 not being able to, at least for a good chunk of time at the beginning, not being able to go to our own churches if we had one locally, being exposed to other teachers and preachers around the country and around the world. I think it's a really beautiful thing. Things like podcasts too, I think are wonderful because I think it's good to too to take in, take in things from different people and, di- and their different perspectives, right? Because mm-hmm. they're all coming from different places, different backgrounds, different upbringings. Right. And so I think it's really cool to get to hear from – that's really cool. Michael Todd, is that right? I wrote mm-hmm. it down. So okay. Yeah, from
1: Transformation
0: Very Church. Cool. Transformation Church. Okay, last question I have for you, and again, I ask this of everyone. So this podcast is called Wild Hearts with Janine because I just get to sit down with my friends and talk about things that are important to my friends or they're really passionate about or really experienced in, as we did today. So in your opinion, what makes someone a wild heart?
1: Someone who is – brave and kind and operates from a place of freedom and this empowering energy to take action and to also be still. And I think, you know, when I hear the word wild in particular, I think of freedom, but also it really reminds me of this like hunger that I felt when I first Mm -hmm. started traveling And I had this desire to see and to experience and to feel and to talk to people from different countries and just hear their experiences. And there was this wild nature of it. There was this out of the norm feeling Mm -hmm. of going somewhere for the first time, experiencing something for the first time. And there was a level of stillness I found in that journey. And I'm so grateful for that. And I, I definitely feel that like that wild spirit of exploration And on the other side of it, I find a lot of peace and a lot of stillness. And so that's what having a wild heart means to me.
0: I love that. It's kind of this juxtaposition, but this beautiful balance and rootedness, I like that a lot. It's fun to ask that question because I feel like every time someone answers, it's like, oh, I didn't think of it that
1: way. Mm -hmm. So
0: it's really beautiful to hear from your perspective and your own story, kind of what you think of what a wild hearted person can be. Yeah. Alexis, this has been amazing. I am so grateful to you for obviously your friendship, but then your willingness to jump on the podcast and share some of your story and your heart and your passion behind deeper living and help guide us no matter where any of us might find ourselves, guide us in our own journeys toward a deeper life. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, friend. I appreciate you. And it's an honor to serve your community.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Wild Hearts with Janine. I hope that you guys had so much fun learning from Alexis. She is such a light in the space of vulnerability and authenticity and just really going deep with ourselves. Um, make sure to give her a follow at Alexis Miller on Instagram. And you should know she has 20 free journal prompts available right now. So go to the link in her bio on her Instagram, get those journal prompts and get to living your deepest life. In two weeks, I'm going to be sitting down with my new friend, Hannah Gerasi, and we're going to be talking all about a topic that I actually am pretty passionate about, and that is Sabbath. So we'll see you back here in two weeks, but until then, keep dreaming, seeking, and stepping out in faith.